What did we learn in the Aggies' 31-28 loss to the Ole Miss Rebels on this episode of the Locked On Aggies podcast? You are Locked On Aggies, your daily podcast on the Texas A&M Aggies, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up? Welcome back to the Locked On Aggies podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Joey Ikes. Thanks so much for making Locked On Aggies your first listen. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast. I'm joined today by my good friend, Cameron Honesty, and we're going to review the Aggies loss to the Ole Miss Rebels on Saturday. And Cameron, I'm not a huge believer in moral victories but i think if if ever there was a moral victory for a college football program this game against ole miss was exactly that and Mm. the main reason why all revolves around one guy and it's the answer to the question that we've been asking on this podcast in this format for months and that's who's going to be the guy who's the quarterback and now we know and as you said in your article at Cowboys or at Aggieswire.com, Aggieswire.usatoday.com, we learned against Ole Miss, Connor Wigman, he's that guy. Yep. Yeah. And I mean that it it took a while. You know, it took it it took all the bumps and bruises and going through Haynes King, Max Johnson, you know, wasn't his wasn't his fault, you know, getting hurt against Mississippi State. We didn't really know fully what we were getting out of him, but we had an idea and I would say really it was after the Mississippi state game that I personally, I think you, you as well kind of joined that bandwagon kind of clamoring to see what does this guy have? We heard in the summer, you know, how good he's been, how close he is to Jimbo Fisher, how much Jimbo Fisher just admires, you know, his mind, his football mind, his, you know, his intangibles, his just skill set, and just his preparation, you know, through every practice, I heard a little bit this week from some of the players, just how, I mean, how driven this kid is and how he shows up at every practice because hundred percent, you know, isn't, isn't afraid, doesn't have those kind of freshman moments really, where it's just too big for him. And we saw that against Ole Miss. I'm still excited from it. You know, they lost and it was, you know, it was terrible, right? Because they had a chance to win that game in every facet of the way. I mean, that, but, you know, with terrible defensive showing, obviously it didn't help a lot. And and Wigman had a couple freshman moments, you know, especially in the pocket, tripped up a couple times, which is a little, it was kind of funny, you know, it, it, was, it was bound to happen. I and mean, you just let, you just let him have those. But overall, the command in the pocket, the, the zip on the ball, I mean, just how quickly he got that thing out too. It made the whole line look great, by the way. And they played better. I'll say that. We'll get to that later. But, he uh he was he was fantastic. I I love the demeanor. I mean, this is this is a kid who's just looks like he's having a great time out there. He has this great connection with with Evan Stewart. You can tell with two of the great catches he had, and the ball placement on the on the one handed catch was perfect. I mean, they they were thinking Evans did everything. Well, Evan or Evan, I'm sorry, Evan Stewart did everything, and he can do those things. I mean, the the guy is that talented to make those one handed grabs and and really pulled the ball away at any kind of jump moment. Um, but the ball placement was perfect. They just had this connection going all night. And same with Moose Bahamut. I mean, this is Moose, Moose has played well 
with every quarterback this season. Um, he's had a chance to play with all three, but man, was he dealing. I mean, this guy was open every time. And, 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 uh, and again, he was throwing him open. You know, it's not like they just suddenly got open in this game. This was a lot of Connor Wiegman and his delivery and really just everything he did was just fantastic. And I'm telling you, Joey, I'm excited. It, it, like, I understand fans are pissed and they they're, you know, they're in this moment where it's like, well, you know, we got four games left and what's the point? No, there's a lot to play for. And if you are not as excited as we are to see Connor play this uh, Saturday morning against Florida, I don't know what's wrong with you. I don't know if you're a real Aggie fan or not, but you you gotta be pumped. And it was just great to see. Yeah, absolutely. The stat line for Wigman on the night, 28 of 44. It's about 67% completion. Yeah. 338 yards, four touchdowns, just one of the best games by an AM quarterback in the last decade, to be honest with you. And it was in his the in his starting debut, like his first start ever at the college level. And they march up and down the field twice on the opening drives, and it was obvious immediately. I mean, it was obvious that he was different all the way back against Alabama when he came in at the end of that game. Just the way the ball came out of his hand is just different than it is when it comes out of Haynes' hand or when it comes out of Max's hand. And it was just unbelievable to watch and just see, like, the energy sort of start to swell up around the team and around, you know, we're all on Twitter during the game and everything, and you could sort of start to feel that momentum sort of start to build, like, holy cow, this guy is is legit, and it's – it had been boiling under the surface for so long because it became clear very early on that Haynes King wasn't the, wasn't the guy, right? He wasn't that guy. And then they went to max in probably in an attempt to be a stabilizing force. We had that conversation Mm -hmm. and then max got hurt and he got hurt at probably the worst possible time. I mean, there's never a good time for a guy to get hurt and you feel bad for him, but that injury happened at maybe the worst time, for Jimbo in terms of the ability to make this transition immediately following that injury, because you're not going to go to, to Connor Wigman to start against Alabama at Bryant Denny stadium in the first week of the season or in the, for his first start um, without any playing time at the college level at all. And so they ha- almost had to just, you know, throw Haynes to the wolves almost against Alabama with the idea that they'd go through the bye week and then go to Connor after that. And it turned out Haynes got hurt too, which is unfortunate. Like I said, we never want to see that happen, but it was great to see Connor get his opportunity. And even more than that, it was great to see him grab onto that opportunity and absolutely never let go of it. And you mentioned it earlier, and we're going to talk about these guys a little bit more in a minute, but this week's thrilling moment in college football is brought to you by Nissan. The thrilling designs behind the new lineup from Nissan are intended to empower drivers in vehicles as capable as the driver themselves. When I think of the unbelievable abilities on the field for this week's thrilling moment, it absolutely has to be the the one-handed touchdown catch that you mentioned <laughs> earlier by Evan Stewart. Yeah. It was, you know, the second drive of the game, they drive down the field, Connor Wegman makes his beautiful throw and Evan Stewart goes up one hand catch just absolutely unbelievable catch 
Yep. This segment has been inspired by the thrilling new designs featured across Nissan's new lineup and new lineup of vehicles. Pursue what thrills you in the all-new Frontier Armada or Pathfinder today. Available now at NissanUSA.com. Cameron, our conversation about the thrilling moment leads us to the next point that we're going to cover in your article. And that is that A&M, they've got some weapons on the offensive side of the ball. And like most of the rest of the team, they're young, but they are extremely talented. And that is Moose Muhammad and Evan Stewart. And just to read off the numbers for you quickly, Mm -hmm. Moose Muhammad, eight catches on 12 targets, 112 yards and a touchdown. And Evan Stewart had six catches on 13 targets. Some of those were, you know, 50-50 type situations. Yeah. He He's going to have a lower catch rate on some of his stuff because of the degree of difficulty. Mm-hmm. Six catches, 88 yards, and a touchdown. Just an unbelievable day by a freshman and a sophomore um, as the primary wide receivers and primary receiving options in the game. Talk to me about Moose and Evan, and what it means for A&M, not only this year, but what it means going forward. Well, yeah, and, and so we've seen both those guys, you know, have their moments throughout the season. Obviously, Evan, Evan's, he's been a highlight reel <laughs> all year, no matter who the quarterback's been. It kind of started, I think, after the first couple games, and then really when they started into SEC play, he started making those plays, and we started mm-hmm. to see just how talented this guy is and how and how good he's going to be in his time at AM. Moose Muhammad is somebody who I think a lot of some of the fan base was clamoring to see, um, you know, to, to see more, uh, you know, later in the season because of some of the injuries, especially the injury to Anaya Smith when that occurred. A lot of people are asking, well, where's Moose Muhammad? We know he's on this roster. We know how good he is. You know, why is he playing as much? And you got to think that, um, like we see now with, the obviously the suspension to to Chris Marshall, um, we saw someone like Noah Thomas, you know, play more snaps. One of the other fra- very talented freshmen actually scored a touchdown in the game. So there's a lot of very talented receivers down the roster that we just haven't seen a lot because of how the depth chart kind of played out. But yeah, I I think Moose can end up being one of the better wide receivers to come through A and M, kind of like how we saw someone like uh, Josh Reynolds, for example. They, they they they're not the same player exactly. But two guys who were not, you know, five-star, you know, top, top receivers coming out. But they were really good, high four-stars. We knew they were going to be good college players. But just the way this guy runs his routes, the way he he finds a way to get open, he's a he's a very versatile player in the way they can move him around to the, to the X, to Z, to slot. I mean, he's a, he's a pretty big wide receiver, so you can use him in all those different ways. And I think that – I think really when we look at the rest of the schedule – each game just lines up perfectly for him. And and obviously I think Evan Stewart to kind of play him into this is just going to keep getting those big, he's going to keep getting those big catches. He's going to keep making those highlight plays because Connor Wiegman is going to find him and he's going to find him deep. He's going to find him over the middle. He's going to find him on those kind of drag routes where he just picks up big yards because of his kind of uh, lateral agility, his speed. And, Man, this could end up being a really, really good tandem. And I know that um, a lot of people were afraid of, you know, these guys are so good. You know, 
what if the if the offense doesn't pick it up? Are they going to stay? Well, guess what? You think what do you think now? I mean, <laughs> Connor Wiegman has. I'm not saying he's brought them back to life, but he is. He has shown that they were waiting for this. They were waiting for somebody to come in, one of the signal callers to come in there, take control of this offense, and utilize their skill set and utilize what they can do because these are big play guys, and these are some two of the best wide receivers. In the FBS, in my opinion, when they have the right guy throwing them the ball. And we saw that. So it took a while. It took a while to come through. It took a while for this to develop. But we're here now. We got four more games left to, to show even more of that. And again, I, you know, tied to Connor Weedman, these, these are the three guys that I'm most excited about. Obviously, there's some guys on defense as well. But offensively, that's what I'm going to look for for these remaining games. And I think they're going to explode. I just I just think it's, I think more is coming from that giant showing we saw, you know, against, uh, against Ole Miss. So, yeah. Yeah. And the, it, it goes back to the reason why we spend so much time talking about the quarterback position. We've already spent a whole segment talking about it yeah. today, but we're going to do it again because it's that important Yeah, because they did a few things different schematically on yeah. Saturday night, but it's still the same offense. It's the same offense that everybody was so worried about and clamoring for new offensive coordinator, new can we afford Jimbo's $86 million buy? Can we, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it's the same guy calling the plays and it's the same guys running the routes and the same guys blocking. The primary thing that changed is they put a different quarterback in the game. Yeah. And he has the ability to do some things that the other guys don't. And it absolutely blew up. Now there's a chance that you know we've seen guys you know have great starts and then sort of back off. You know we, we lived through you know a, a couple of those guys, um, but <laughs> I know you're talking about. <laughs> but I, you know I don't want to name names about stuff yeah. like that. But you know <laughs> um, we we've lived through that kind of thing before, right? And so there's always that possibility that lives out there. But for right now. What this offense was able to do, and it was like you said, it was really those three guys. And then, of course, there's you know Devon A. Chain being Devon yeah. A. Chain throughout the entire game through running and, and catching and all that kind of stuff. But we we didn't learn that against Ole Miss. We've known that exactly. since before Ole Miss. Um, <clears throat> the next thing that we learned, we're going to shift gears a little bit. And before we do that, thanks for making Locked On Aggies your first listen today. For your second listen, make sure you go check out Locked On Sports today. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast. The next thing we're going to talk about, the next factor that we learned, the lesson we learned, is this Texas A&M run defense. It's a problem. And it's really been a problem since, you know, it showed up against Appalachian State when they couldn't get off the field then. But it really started to ramp up and show big problems. You know, Mississippi State ran the ball all over them. Alabama ran the ball all over them. South Carolina ran the ball on them. And then Ole Miss, I mean, this Ole Miss ran the ball. For 390 yards. 390 yards. 
And that's if you – I'm pretty sure I need to double-check the way the NCAA accounts for this stuff. I'm pretty sure that that 390 includes a sack that Jackson Dart t- took. I think they count that as a, as a running – as a loss on a run play. Yes. Uh, a, a loss of yardage. So, I mean, they – 390 yards on 63 carries. Jackson Dart only only attempted 20 passes. Now, there were some dropbacks and scrambles and stuff, but the run defense was the problem, and they just couldn't get off the field enough times to give Connor Wigman the chance to get into rhythm again in the second and third quarters, and that was really the difference in the game. Yeah, and I said in the article, we're not going to name names. You guys can just read the article. Uh, there was a certain running back uh, back in, I think, 2016, I believe, for LSU that ran for 285 yards against the Texas A&M defense. And that was, that's what I was watching. And I remember watching that game. I was in college, or I was, I was almost finishing college. And I'm watching that with my dad or something. We're just sitting there going, do they care? Do they even care? Are they going to adjust anything? Are they just going to sit there and let this this running back, who, by the way, is not Barry Sanders, just gash you all day, run all over you, make fun of you? That's what I saw. And And the disturbing part is McKinley Jackson had, I believe, 12 tackles on the night. That's what kind of blows my mind is that he he was the best defensive player. He is a nose tackle. His entire job really, yes, a little bit is rushing the passer, but it's being having gap protecting your gaps, closing your gaps, tackling the runner, run defense. That's it. That's your job. Well, it, yeah, the stat line defensively blew my mind. I will say that Bryce Anderson or yeah, Bryce Anderson, who had to step in again, playing just more more snaps because Antonio Johnson uh actually did not play this game. Um which was a which was a huge hole defensively. He did a great job and he did what he could. And we're we're talking so we're talking to in um too fastest the run game. One obviously was uh, Quinshawn Junkins ran for 205 yards and he's a north south runner. This is just a hard nosed runner. This is not this is not a guy with great you know pure feet or or cutting moves or anything. I mean he just running down the middle essentially. You just open in those A and B, a, a gap, that A gap, and he's just gashing you through. And I mean, he, he was doing that all night. And honestly, the times that Lane Kiffin dropped back to pass, I was a little surprised. I'm like, why don't you just run the ball? <laughs> it's going to work. And he did that a couple times. And I'm like, well, you're, we're at this point of the game where either the defense is too tired, attrition is set in, and they, or they just don't care. And they're just like, well, they're just going to run on us. So let's just let them run on us. And this is something that, um, I mean, you can get a little frustrated even talking about this a little bit, but um, I don't know. They have the they have the bodies, they have the players to stop the run. It's it, a lot of it is youth and inexperience that plays a role. Lane Kiffin is a very good play designer. He really knew how to open it up with some of the some of the motion pre snap. But look, you can't rely. I would say you can't rely on freshmen all night to stop the run effectively. And when you had some of the veterans out, I don't think Edgerton Cooper played a lot during that game. I think he was pretty beat up. I think he was on a limited snap count. But yeah, obviously, Antonio Johnson, like I already mentioned. Um, in terms of following Jackson Dart, who I think also had 95 yards rushing, and he absolutely killed them 
on just scrambles. And he was literally just running free. It didn't seem like a guy was a guy was like 15 yards away when he was just running open in the open field. And so look, that's, it's going to be fixed. Um, we know who they're playing this weekend in Florida with Anthony Richardson, who I think he's accounted for already 400 plus yards on the ground and six or so touchdowns. So that is something that um, DJ Durkin is going to be focused on all week, I'm guessing, but I don't know. It was, it was just the weirdest thing because you knew what their strength was. I mean, you're Jimbo Fisher, DJ Durkin, you're every player, defensive player in that locker room. You knew that, Jackson Dart isn't some prolific passer. This isn't a prolific passing offense. They are they were third in the country um, behind both service schools who are option-based offenses running the ball. And I don't know. I, I'm lo- I was lost for words. I mean, I kind of left that game. All I could think of was Connor Wiegman. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the best thing. I was just like, oh, you just ignore the horrific defensive showing and pretend that didn't happen, but now we can't because every matchup ahead of them is going to look at that game and think that they can just, you know, just run all over them. So they're really going to have to change some things. They're really going to have to um, hammer down on, on just the basics of defense on just the basic. I mean, those that's the basics of defense is stopping the run. Right. And that's what I think a lot, of, a lot of fans even know that it's like, this is the first thing you should be able to do. You see in the NFL, usually every team except for a few, that's what they do effectively. It's past defenses is harder because of quarterback play. But if you want to get to the NFL, you have to know how to do that, especially as a defensive tackle or defensive end. And yeah, very disappointing. Yeah, absolutely. And run defense is one of those things that's really, it's really interesting because on one hand, you almost want teams to run the ball against you yeah. as a as a defensive coach. And I've talked about this a little bit in that the way DJ Durkin is playing defense, he the main thing he wants to prevent is the big passing play down the field. So he's playing, he's aligning his defenders that way and all that kind of stuff and counting on guys to rally and make tackles. And he he's okay with giving up, you know, four or five yards of carry if he doesn't give up the big, huge play. The problem is, is that when you start giving up 6.2 yards of carry you know our, our guys on the locked on cowboys podcast landon mccool and marcus mosher have a term that they have they have coined to be the mcmosher line um, <laughs> and that is the line of of delineation between when your run defense is good enough and when it's too bad to be a problem and it's really binary it's like it's either good enough or it's a problem and it doesn't. It almost doesn't matter if you're giving up four yards a carry or two yards a carry, and it doesn't really matter if you're giving up six yards a carry or nine yards a carry. Once you cross that line, <laughs> you're bad enough on defense against the run that teams don't have to worry about your pass defense. They can just do what Ole Miss did and carry the ball 62 times for 400 yards in the game and win the game no matter what. And that's really where A&M is sitting right now is that they have to find a way to get back on the right side of the McMosher line and be able to, to come up with a way, whether it's a little bit heavier personnel, whether it's um, maybe it's just the fact that Antonio Johnson missed the game. And when, yeah. when you have the top of the depth chart guy out, it reshuffles everybody and puts everybody in different positions. And now all of a sudden they don't have Bryce Anderson, Damani Richardson, and 
Antonio Johnson on the field to play the run at the same time. Now they are against a run heavy team that Bryce Anderson is, you know, one of the top graded run defenders in college football, according to PFF. Um, now he is no longer on the field with those other two guys. He is replacing one of those two guys. And it just, it just tumbles down the depth chart. And so that's, I think that's really a big thing. And you even pointed it out with your next point that we'll sort of wrap into this one as well. And that's that, you know, Antonio Johnson was missed in a huge way. Um, both, you know, the leadership, the penalties, you know, all that kind of stuff. There was a touchdown drive that Ole Miss had that was basically just A&M gets two stops. LSU gets the third down. A&M makes a stop. There's a penalty called for 15 or 20 yards, and then they do it all over again. And it just yeah. happened all the way down the field for like a 60 or 70-yard touchdown drive. <laughs> and it, like, it was crazy. And, you know, you could argue the officiating, but the officiating is what it is, right? But they missed Antonio Johnson on the field for all the reasons that you talked about. And it's it's crazy to think that one guy can make that much of a difference. But we've talked about the importance of that specific position. And maybe if you have Antonio Johnson, maybe you're in a little bit better position to defend Jackson Dart in the running game because you can allocate a guy directly to him because you know AJ's going to do his job in coverage. <clears throat> or maybe with a guy um, that understands the scheme and stuff like that a little better, maybe you don't have to just play true man coverage quite so much. And if you don't play true man coverage quite so much, maybe you don't give up up 95 rushing yards to the quarterback. Yep. So – I got to tell you guys, before we get to the next part of this takeaway from AM, which is really important, we got to talk about Mike. Mike is a Vegas resort concierge, and he was sweating through his suit coat on the job in less than an hour. Talk about embarrassing. Not anymore. He's got it taken care of thanks to Sweat Block. Mike was able to fix his problem with Sweatblock. Sweatblock wipes are a must-have for everyone's toiletry bag. Whether it's a big presentation or a hot date, everyone could benefit. If you or someone you love is experiencing embarrassing sweat or odor, try Sweatblock. Save 20% with promo code locked on at sweatblock.com. That's promo code locked on two words at sweatblock.com. It is also available on Amazon. The last takeaway from the game against Ole Miss is that it is full steam ahead for this Aggies team going into the last four games of the year. They are in a fight at this point to gain to secure bowl eligibility. And that bowl eligibility is going to be super important, not because you know, playing in the Texas Bowl or the Liberty Bowl or whatever bowl they're going to, the, the Hula Bowl or something like that, <laughs> that is, is going to be that important. But it's the three or four weeks worth of extra practice time that they get when they can dial back from game planning. And it's almost another training camp or spring ball. It's like a little winter ball period that they get mm -hmm. to have. And when you have a freshman quarterback and you have freshman and sophomore wide receivers and offensive linemen and and you're playing 10 true freshmen every game on defense, that practice time is extremely important going into 2023. So got to get to bowl eligible. 
And you got to build some momentum. This Connor Wigman thing, the game against Ole Miss, it was fun. It was a change. It was different. But if they go back and look terrible in the next four games, none of that matters. And the recruiting stuff goes away. The recruiting benefit that you might get from something like this goes away. You know, all that kind of stuff happens. This might be a lost season, but we got to see some progress in the next four weeks, right? Yeah. No, I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's like you just said. This is a momentum builder. What we're seeing with Connor Wiegman, we're talking about the future. We're talking about the imminent future. We're talking about, you know, everything that 2023 is supposed to be, which is, which even before this season started, people were looking towards 2023, mainly due to how the schedule lines up, mainly due to who will have back growth from the freshmen. And now we're looking at, you know, for example, the offensive line. Those extra practices is a great opportunity for that offensive line to continue getting better. I believe that most or almost all of that group will be back next season from how I'm kind of gauging it. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to say who specifically, but that's just a feeling I have. And especially with Connor Wiegman getting used to this line, getting, getting just more time with them in a, in a playing setting is just so vital because look, this season has been lost for a while. And, and again, unless you are a, Aggie fan, diehard, true, you know, true bleed maroon, you're not paying attention to the season. If you're a general college football fan, unless you're, you know, writing nationally about college football teams, then yeah, you just you just don't care. But and that's the thing. And that's look, we like it that way, to be honest with you, because we're here to A, encourage this team, hope for the best, but see progress. It's about progress now. And we saw progress last week in a loss. We didn't see progress from the run defense, but you kind of cap that off perfectly because it is what it is, essentially. That's how you have to kind of look at it. But um, these next four games are winnable. Now, LSU at the end of the season is going to be very tough. We don't know how good LSU is going to be by that time. I believe they were just ranked 10th in the college football uh, first play, uh, playoff rankings. So we'll see what happens there. But you're taking on Florida at home. You're taking on Auburn on the road. They were dealing with their own issues. You get the UMass game back at Kyle Field. And I'm telling you, Joey, I look on paper, AM should win all three of those games. They should. They should just by how much better they are offensively right now and how, yeah, we're hoping that this isn't just a, a spell of, of greatness from a young quarterback who, you know, just had one of his in-the-moment type of games. And we saw that with someone like Zach Calzada. For example, look, that was a that was a magical moment against Alabama. And we didn't see really any consistent play later on again with Zach Alzada. We saw a couple of good games, but the drop-off was big, and we knew, okay, this isn't the guy. With Connor, he needs to play well this weekend. He needs to look, we're not saying match what you did against Ole Miss. Again, he had 300 plus yards and four touchdowns with no picks. So that was that was a game which he just exploded out of the gate, but we expect consistency. Consistency. We expect him to be, you know, show poise in the pocket and just show confidence, and and that him and Jimbo have a symbiotic relationship right now as offensive play caller to young quarterback. And here's the one thing I'll I'll kind of gripe with Jimbo Fisher. You know, we've seen that he does tend to yell at some players on the sidelines, and he kind of did it the other night to to, to Connor. But you know, after the game. I don't think it was much, you know, angry yelling. I think it was just an expressive way. He, he just talked about how much he loves coaching this kid, how much he loves him uh, being around the facility. He's having a fun time right now. 
And that that's the Jimbo we want to see, that he's having a good time, no matter what the record is, that he's going out on Saturday and he has a game plan ready and he knows that he can actually execute this game plan, not just talk about it when it doesn't happen because he's got the right guy throwing the ball. And that's the thing. Defensively, I'm not too worried about anything in that aspect aside from maturation. These guys, guys like Walter Nolan, um, you know, Jacoby Matthews is a name that popped out. He's playing a lot of snaps at the safety position. It's a very talented player. Uh, obviously, Bryce Anderson, uh, Shamar Stewart, all these guys are getting so many snaps and they're playing pretty well. Um, really, they're, I mean, the worst showing was Ole Miss, right? We can throw that game away. It doesn't matter. It mattered more for Ole Miss, to be honest with you. They just needed to keep winning. So that's a game that watch the tape, fix what you can. But overall, the defense is going to get better. I mean, a majority of those guys, hopefully, are coming back next year. Almost a lot of them are going to be starters then. So, I mean, that that side of the ball, I think, is is great. I I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of drop-off there, aside from some, dis, uh, some guys like Damani Richardson leaving, obviously, for the NFL. Um, but, yeah, I look, I'm hopeful. I think that – I think there's better horizons, and – I just, I just really hope that they can get through these next three games with victories, get to bowl eligibility, and then go take on LSU in what is sure to be an exciting game because those two programs hate each other. <laughs> and it's very, very, very entertaining to watch. And, and honestly, if, if they've reached their goal by that time, which is getting to six wins, what do they have to lose? That's how I kind of look at it. But the, but but yeah, you're right. I mean, having those extra practices overall is is something that a lot of the fan base and, and everybody are, are kind of noticing that that's going to be even better for this program moving forward because, again, we found the quarterback. And that was the one question mark we had all season. And uh, Connor's the guy. So Absolutely. And that's the perfect way to end the show. Cameron, thanks so much for joining us today. You can find Cameron on Twitter at Cameron Honesty. That's Cameron O-H-N-Y-S-T-Y. You can find me on Twitter at Joey Ikes. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Aggies. And please go check us out on YouTube as well. Locked on Aggies is the channel there. Hit the notification bell so you never miss when we post a new video. Also, subscribe to the channel, all that kind of stuff. Like the videos also so that other people have the opportunity to find us and we can give you guys the best Aggies coverage possible. Now that you've made Locked on Aggies, your first listen, make sure, like I said earlier, go check out Locked On Sports today for your second listen. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in all of sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insight that only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports today, available where you're listening to this show on YouTube or anywhere you get podcasts. Locked On Sports today. Thanks so much, guys. We will see you tomorrow.